So in this series, I got to a place, and I want to read a passage, and then we're going to pray. But I got to this place, and then I kind of paused. So I want to read First uh, Timothy 2, 8 through 15, and, um, and I'll kind of pause here and there. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands, lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. And I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. If we can pause right here. I paused. This is the, the place I paused at in our series. Because this is one of the most talked about and controversial and honestly difficult passages in the Bible. So we said, hey, before we continue in this series, um, we, we want to examine this closely. We're going to camp on this topic for a few weeks. So, as a pastor, uh, when I was being groomed and trained and prepared for pastoring, there were a few things I said, when I'm the lead guy, when I'm the lead pastor, I'm not going to just rush through a topic because I have to rush through a topic. I'm going to be patient in bringing it because I believe that that's the most effective way to teach. So there's times I'll say, I'm starting a series. I won't give you an end date. I won't say this is a 12-week series because you all know if you've been here at any given time, if I say it's a 12-week series, it's a 14-year series. <laughs> you know, there's no way I'm still, you know, so I don't even say it. Like, We're starting a series and we'll end when we end. And um, I do that because either this is good or it's not. Either the Word of God is good and worth bisecting and reading and studying and rereading and or it's not I you know when I was a kid I never read the word when I was a young man I never read the word because I was always like I don't have time to read five chapters I don't have time to read ten chapters I don't have the right time to read a book and I, I put this to me uh, setting goals for this to be an effective study time I've got to cover ground you know what as a more mature man Man, there's times I don't get past three, four verses. I just, again, I'm like, oh, Lord, that's awesome. Lord, show me more. Lord, show me more. Oh, right. Oh, that's a Holy Spirit. Guide me deeper into this truth. Oh, that's good. Because that's how good the Word of God is. And so my goal this week was was to finish this topic. And it's just not going to happen. And if I can just be honest with you, here's my thought. You know, summertime, crowds are low. I, I think everyone needs to hear this word. Some people are going to be here this week and next week they're going to be water skiing and they're going to miss it. And I'm like, I need to cram it all into one. And uh, I want to say, you are deserving and you are worth me being patient with delivering this to you. You are worth me being patient and just teaching you. And if your butts aren't here next week, then go to the website and listen to it so we can talk about it, so we can converse, so we can encourage each other. You know, I love, I love being around people and talking. I love talking about movies. I love talking about sports. Football season's coming up. love talking about football. But I love talking about Jesus. And when we're on a series, my friends, if I can challenge us, 
Um, and honest, when I say us, I mean you, because I've already challenged myself, so now I'm challenging you. If I can challenge you, you know where we're going, you know where we are. In your time with the Lord, study this. Be like, hey, I was reading this. What do you think? Hey, I was reading this, and you brought it to light, and then I went and read it some more, and the Holy Spirit took it from there, and it was awesome. You know what that's called? That's called encouragement. And that's one of the responsibilities you have of being saints, of being the body of Christ. That's one of the responsibilities you have is encouragement. We are to encourage one another. So I paused at this point in the sermon. By the way, I'm still going to pray. This is all the, the intro. You know, I don't know how far we'll get. Um, and so I paused in this point and I said, we at Impact Rock, we don't preach Paul. And we don't preach Luke. And we don't preach Mary or Martha or Ananias. I don't know. I mean, I'm just throwing up names now. We don't preach any other person except Jesus. Every message we do, it comes back to Jesus. The Old Testament, why is the Old Testament there? To tell us to Jesus, to point us to Jesus, to prophesy about Jesus. Why is the Gospels there? Why are the Gospels there? To tell us about his life, the life of Jesus. And then why is the rest of the New Testament there? To talk about Jesus, to point us to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. The Father is not afraid or insecure or or jealous of us exalting the name of Jesus. Because you know what? That's what he did. He gave Jesus the name that is above all names. The Father exalted Jesus to a place of honor. And so we do the same. So we took two weeks. And I, I do want to say this. I'm chomping at the stinking bit to preach this. I really am. I've, I, I've, wanted, I've wanted to preach it for months. I started studying this in April. And I've been waiting to preach. And if you know me at all, you know I don't, I don't shy away from a fight. If anything, I've got to bite my lip to not go pick a fight. And, I, and I've wanted to pick a fight with the enemy for a long time because um, I believe this is one of those scriptures that pastors just avoid. Why? You might lose people in the church if you preach this. If you go to 1 Timothy 2, you might lose people. Or you might enlighten them. And you might, you might bring freedom. And you might bring truth. And you might set them free. So I think that's worth the risk. So we spent two weeks not avoiding this. Golly gee. Not avoiding this. But looking at Jesus. We looked at Jesus, how he handled the woman caught in adultery. And I, I get fired up. The woman caught in adultery. Like she could do it by herself, right? <laughs> not the man. No reference to the man. No, then pull the man. The woman caught in adultery. Jesus refuses to acknowledge the double standard. He refuses to acknowledge the law. There's a law. In Deuteronomy and Leviticus, we have the benefit of the Bible. There's a law that says a man and woman caught in adultery, they are to be thrown in the street and stoned. It's, it's Old Testament, it's law. Jesus refused to acknowledge the law. He refused to acknowledge the double standard. He didn't, he didn't, they said, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. What do you have to say? What should be done? writes in the sand, stands up, says, those of you, with, with no sin, fire away, fire away. Then he bends back down and writes some more. He says, one by one, they dropped their stones, they walked away. This is so awesome. One of the most beautiful passages of Scripture. Jesus, it's just Jesus and her standing there, and he says, 
Woman, where's your accuser? It's just her and Jesus. It's just her and Jesus. Woman, where is your accuser? What's her response? Lord, there are none. She knew who Jesus was. He's not the accuser. Lord, there are none. How awesome. How beautiful is that passage? And what's he say? Neither do I condemn you. He, he confirmed what she already knew. Go and sin no, no more. We covered that. We looked at the Samaritan woman at the well. And, you know, uh, that Jesus stopped for rest. Disciples went to go get food. Samaritan woman came uh, in the noon hour to get water. Normally they get water in the morning. Why? Because it's cool then and they've got to go deep. It, that passage makes reference to it's a deep well. So there's work to be done. But she went in the afternoon. Why? She was a woman of ill repute. She was a woman of loose morals. She was a woman of bad reputation. I believe that that choice of that noon hour was to avoid the sneers and the snickers and the judgment and the laughter and the taunts from the other women. And Jesus asked for a drink and she's like, what are you doing talking to me? You're a man, I'm a woman. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. In fact, when the disciples came back after Jesus had just this incredible teaching moment, they were like, what are you doing talking to a woman? What are you doing talking to a Samaritan? They they shook their fingers at Jesus. At least they thought it. And of course he knew it. It's like, come on guys, a little backbone. A little backbone, disciples. Let's at least tell Jesus when we're thinking he's crossing our double standards. Jesus said, open your eyes. Look around. Wake up. You're about to reap a harvest. You had no place in planting. You had no... You didn't plant a single seed and you're about to reap a harvest. Look. And here comes the whole city. Why? Because that Samaritan woman identified something in Jesus. She listened. She identified him as a prophet and even was like, I know there's going to be a Messiah. And he's like, yes, I'm the Messiah. Which, by the way, this is the first person Jesus announced that to. It's the first person that Jesus chose to reveal that he was the Messiah to. But she already knew. She's sitting there hitting to it anyway. He teaches her. She responds. He recognizes an evangelistic gifting in her life. He sends her. She goes and does the work of an evangelist. By the way, forgetting for a brief while that she wasn't qualified. Forgetting for a brief while that she had a really bad reputation. That she had morals that hadn't quite been great. Forgets all about it. Forgets about the sneers. The very thing that made her do her work at noon instead of in the early morning hours. Forgets the taunts. Forgets the things. Runs into town and says, I found the Messiah. He told me everything I've ever done. Come, come. And she brought them to him. Two-day revival takes place. We talked about who Jesus trusted the resurrection message with. I know, I was astounded too. I couldn't believe he trusted a woman with that message. Right? I couldn't believe that. I was I was totally amazed. You know, he trusted the resurrection message with a woman. Go tell my disciples. That word tell, translated, one of the translations, one of the primary translations, go teach. So Jesus commanded them to teach, but apparently in the church we think that we can't. 
We'll get to that. Jesus also said, tell them to meet me in Galilee. What did he do? He gave the women direction to give the men. Who does Jesus think he is? We're certainly as his church not going to follow that kind. Oh, wait a second. It's his church. And yes, we are going to follow that kind of an example. And how did the men respond, by the way? Let's go. Galilee, baby. We're going to Galilee. Why? Jesus is there. We didn't sidestep 1 Timothy 2, 12-ish. But we don't do a thing in this church without looking to Jesus first. When I render my opinion, I'll say, hey, this is my thoughts, my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. For what it's worth, I don't know. It has some value. It has, you know, it's my opinion. Your opinion is it's got some value, you know, but it's your opinion. We look to the Word of God. And that's what we're going to do right now. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this night. We thank you for the opportunity to come and lift high your awesome name, Jesus. Jesus, just by saying your name, Jesus, we are empowered. We are strengthened. We love you. So we come to you so desperately seeking truth. Not opinions, not hearsay, certainly not religion, but your truth. Holy Spirit, do that awesome thing you do and make the word of God come alive. Let us find revelation. Guide us into all truth. Holy Spirit, as an act of my will, I just yield to you and I say, do your thing. Have your way. God, have your way. It's not Mark Harper that I want to be heard. Lord, let it be Jesus Christ and let it be your truth, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. A lot of what I'm doing tonight is just going to kind of set the stage for next week. The beauty is we'll have, if you're not here next week, we'll have the message posted online. But it's just... You know, let's, let's cover as much ground today as we can. Question, why was man created? Why was man created? Some say man was created to worship God. But there, there's not a shortage of angels around the throne of heaven right now saying, holy, holy, holy. There's not a shortage of angels worshiping. So, yeah, that's not it. Some say it was to serve God. But once again, there are angels that do the work of the Lord that are servants. And we, we have the wonderful luxury of being heirs of His. They're also ministering servants unto us. It's great. But that's not the reason either. We were created for one reason. And we see it in the garden. To be in relationship with God. God wasn't lonely. He just wanted to be in relationship with us. We were created to be in relationship with God. I love this woman. I've been married to her for 15 years. I've been in love with her for over 15 years. And because I love her, I want to serve her. I want to sing of her praises. Tell everyone how awesome my wife is, how beautiful she is, smart and talented. And what a great soccer player and what a great cook. She makes awesome lasagna. When we love somebody, th- those things just come. Serving comes. Uh, worship. I don't worship her. 
but you know, it just comes. But we were created to be in relationship with God. Not to worship Him from a distance. I love the message that Matt and Rose are bringing about the royal priesthood. Hey, at any time we can come into His presence. We don't need a priest to guide us there or to okay it. You know, to draw us in. We can be in His presence at any time. We are called, created to be in relationship with Him. As we go into this scripture, I want to ask another question. What man or what position holds the highest authority in the local church? What man or what position, not Jesus, I'm not talking about Jesus, so it's not a trick question and the answer is not Jesus, I'm just letting you know. What man or what position holds the highest authority in the local church? If you went through our leadership class, you know this. It rhymes with melder. Elders hold the highest authority in the local church. And it's elders. We will have elders because it's never meant to be a one-man show. Elders hold the highest authority in the local church. Not apostles. Not prophets. Not evangelists. Not teachers. Elders do. We look throughout the Word and there's things that that Paul submits to the local pastor of that church. I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Corinthians 11, and 2 Corinthians 8, and see how many times Paul says the phrase, this is not a command, but this is a concession. This is not a command, but I think I've earned the place to speak into your life. This is not a command... But my my track record shows that I've operated in wisdom. So I ask you to consider that. Why would Paul do that? Why would the Apostle Paul do that? Because the highest authority in the local church are elders. We'll get to leadership later. I bring up those passages to say, Paul understood better than anybody Authority. He preaches on authority. He speaks on it. He demonstrates it. He walks in it. But when Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, I believe it's verse 12, I do not let women teach. I do not allow women to teach or have authority over them. We have taken that passage and we have built denominations on it. We have taken that passage and we have built religion on it and said, Boom, there you go. Why? Because Paul said it. Why? Because Paul said it in the context of church, uh, of the church setting, right? Instruction to the church, right? Hey, if Paul says it, we got to do it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2. Paul, once again, addressing the church. I am so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings I have passed on to you. There's one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. So this translation, um, there's it, it also, the, the genesis, the beginning of of every woman is man. The beginning of every man is Christ. The beginning of Christ is God. 
you know, it, that's one translation. And then there's also responsible. Um, women are responsible to man. Men are responsible to Christ. Christ is responsible to God. I like that last translation. I think it's more accurate because that's what happened. Christ did nothing except what? Except what the Father told him, except what the Father demonstrated to him. So Christ made himself responsible, right? Even though they were one, even though they are the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they are all equal, right? It's like an egg. You got a shell, you got a yolk, you got the whites. It's an egg. You know, that's the same thing with God. So great passage, right? Let's go to the next verse. A man dishonors Christ if he covers his head while praying or prophesying. But a woman dishonors her husband if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head. For this is the same as shaving her head. Yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut off all her hair. But since it is shameful for a woman to have her hair cut off or head shaved, she should wear a covering. So, I'm here to be obedient to the Apostle Paul and to the, to the message he gave to the church. And I'm looking for the first woman who all of you are violating in this. None of you have your head covered. I'm asking you to come and be obedient to the Apostle Paul and to his direction to the church. Do I have a volunteer? Cadence, my baby, I'd never cut your hair, sweetie. You pretty little thing. But I love that you helping daddy with his sermon. Okay. Am I being facetious? Yes. Am I irritated? I am. I am irritated. Why does this command of Paul get ignored? But when Paul says, I don't allow a woman to preach or to teach. Oh, there you go. Why? Probably because I'm, I want my women pretty and I want them with long hair. And I'm also maybe a little afraid that a woman might show me up and be a better preacher or a teacher than me. So let me build a denomination around it. Let me build a religion around it. Let me build a false doctrine around it. Let me not search the scripture. Let me not dig deeper. Let me not search the original Greek. Let me just immediately say, Jesus would never use a woman. Oh, Jesus would never use a woman again. You know what's funny? This, this starts off saying that if a woman does this while she prays or prophesies. So we immediately, we've said prayer and prophecy are inferior to teaching. You got a gift of prophecy. You got a gift of, of prayer. You got a gift of intercession. You have an inferior gift, my friend. It's inferior to the gift of teaching. Why? Because my pastor back at First Baptist Church of Insert City said said that said it was so. You guys. Either, either we're all in disobedience to this or we've all chosen to disregard it and ignore it. Now, maybe you've never read it before and to that, you were not accountable up until about 10 minutes ago and you are now accountable. I don't know, I want to preach with the scissors, baby. Are you worried? Are you worried someone's going to get stabbed? If you're listening to this on a podcast, I'm carrying a pair of scissors and my wife's like, please, baby, just give me... She's talking me down from the ledge. Here you go, sweetie. Here you go. I I surrendered the scissors. Others were worried too. Okay, let's pray again. Holy Spirit, come on back. I'm sorry. Come on. 
Let's read this passage again, uh, starting at verse 8. Women should learn quietly and submissively. Actually, that's not verse 8. Let's uh, hop forward to that. I'll just start reading. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. For God made Adam first, and afterward he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. Let's start at the back and let's work our way backwards. Let's start in verse 15. But women will be saved, and that word is sozo, that, word, that Greek word is sozo, which means saved, delivered, healed. It's the same word that is used in the New Testament. It says, and, you know, trust in Jesus and you will be saved. It's the same word, okay? So it translation saved or healed or delivered. But we know in Christ we have all three. The woman, women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys love the writings of Paul? How many of you guys love the books of the Bible that Paul wrote? I love them. I love Paul. Paul's a stud. I love Paul. I, I, I love I love the, what he wrote. I love the way he wrote it. I love his boldness. I love his. I love the fact that as Saul, before he was Paul, as Saul, his his fame was, I'm the Jew of all Jews. I'm the most learned most taught, smart. I'm the Jew of all Jews. And I love that that as a Christian, his claim to fame was, I was the worst sinner of them all. But Jesus gave me new life. That's in 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy also. I love that Paul did not have the same encounter and does not have the same imagery of Jesus that you and I most likely have. I've asked a couple friends recently, give me a description of Jesus. Give me your description of Jesus. And I've gotten wonderful descriptions. A great teacher, a loving man, someone who, who welcomed all people, a healer, the lamb that was slain. And my answer to my friends was, that's an incomplete answer. That's an incomplete and off view of who Jesus is. That's not the Jesus that Paul knew. See, Paul didn't know Jesus when they were both alive. Saul persecuted those who followed Jesus. Saul was responsible for the stoning of one of the first deacons in the New Testament, uh, Acts chapter 6 deacons, Stephen. But on the road to Damascus, Saul encountered a Jesus that doesn't fit the description of any of that I just gave. He saw the resurrected, victorious, triumphant king of kings who conquered death. That's who he saw. That is who Saul saw. That is what knocked him off his ride. That is what struck him blind. And that is who he learned from. That When he heard the voice, why are you persecuting me? That's who Paul submitted to, learned from, and followed. 
My friends, we have got to stop looking at him as the man on the cross or the baby in the manger or the feeder of the 10,000 or any what the thousands. Those are all awesome things. But he is the resurrected, victorious king. He conquered death. He willingly laid his life down and he triumphantly lifted it back up. That is who Paul saw. That is who we need to see. And I promise you this. I promise you this. There is 0% chance that Paul contradicts that Jesus. There is a 0% chance. Man, I'm getting fired up. That's good. So I, someone's like, ring the bell. I got to go back to the corner. Be like, man, I'm going to get this same. There's 0% chance Paul contradicted that Jesus. Zero. You don't think, you don't think Paul heard... Paul traveled with Luke. Luke was the most precise deliverer of facts in the New Testament. You want to read Luke and Acts and get precision facts? Man, Luke was paid to go get facts to write about Jesus. He was precision, baby. Luke traveled with Paul. You think you think Paul didn't know the resurrection story? Who Jesus entrusted this message to? You think Paul didn't know about Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well? Are you kidding me? And you think Paul would blatantly say two things. He would dis, he would completely contradict Jesus and then he would say salvation doesn't come through Jesus. It comes through what? Accepting your role as a mother and a wife and the creator of delicious grilled cheese sandwiches cut with a diagonal angle and dusting the house and praying quietly in the corner. That will give you salvation. That's what some denominations have said. They've translated this and said, women will be saved by accepting their role as wife and mother through childbearing. You honestly think Paul would say that? Do you think that's what Paul is saying when he says salvation comes through childbearing? My friends, we're smarter than that. God gave us a brain. I don't know why we don't use it, but he still gave us one. It's okay to use it every now and then. Do what? Close it off? (laughs) That's not what Paul was saying. I started this series by talking about where the church in Ephesus was. I started off by saying... Paul is writing this letter in response to Timothy's plea for help. Hey, you you put me here. You you asked me to be the pastor of this church, and I accepted that call. And you guys prophesied over me and laid hands on me. And I'm, but man, I'm struggling. I need your help. So Paul writes this letter to Timothy, and all throughout it, you get the attaboys. You can do it, buddy. You can do it. I believe in you. Don't let no one look down upon you. You can do it. You're not too young. You're the man. You can do it. Hey, remember when we all laid hands on you and and set you into this. You can do it. You can do it. So part of this is a personal encouragement to Timothy. But the purpose, the theme of this letter when it comes to the church is singular. It is coming against false doctrine. And it's coming against false doctrine in some pretty severe ways. Paul is doing his apostolic job and bringing order and structure to the church. We have men that serve in apostolic roles in this church. Terry Kruger serves apostolically. Um, Tyron Daniel serves apostolically. Pastor Larry Russell is our pastor, but he even speaks apostolically. 
And it was interesting. Before we started our leadership training, I'm like, man, there's somebody that's got a gift for teaching. And so, you know, I have this curriculum and, and they're going to teach this leadership training class. And TK goes, brother, that would be a mistake. He goes, that would be a mistake, brother. Why are you letting someone else teach your curriculum? I said, well, they, they really have that gift for teaching. And he said, brother, you're the leader. You teach it. You don't let anyone else teach this. He said, you, you can do what you want. I'm not, I'm not commanding you. I mean, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. This is, you know, I'm not commanding you. I'm just encouraging you. You need to teach that curriculum. The people in your church need to hear that from you. So I said, you got it. Why? Because I trust him. Because his wisdom has been proven to be true. And I said, yes. This church in Ephesus that Paul is speaking into, it's in the shadow of one of the seven wonders of the world. We now know it. They didn't know it at the time as one of the seven wonders of the world. But we now know the Temple of Artemis was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. There was a writer that said, I've seen the Hagen Gardens of Babylon. I've seen the Great Pyramids of Egypt. And I have seen the Colossae of Rhodes but the greatest of all the seven wonders is the temple at Artemis. 121 pillars, 10 stories high. Amazing. Ephesus used to be a port city. You'd come in from the water and you'd see it just beautiful and majestic. Giving honor to Artemis. Artemis was an Asiatic god that the Greeks adapted as their own. Artemis was a virginal god. She was also a huntress. She was known for despising marriage, men, and being punishing in childbirth. This is where the church was planted. When we think of church, I, when I think of I'm going to church, I'm thinking I get to see my friends. I get to see John and Sharon. I get to see you. I, you know, I, I get to see my friends, my brothers, my co-laborers. This is when I think of the church. This is what I think. When Timothy is thinking of the church, it's not quite this lovely. It's not quite this peaceable. He's thinking of a place where new converts are. Some people have gotten the revelation of Jesus and they have believed. And so they brought their spouse along. But the spouse doesn't yet believe. The spouse worships Artemis. The spouse has worshiped Artemis their whole life. Did you know that the Greeks believed that Ephesus was established by Amazons? Amazons are everything you think they are in the movies. They're big, giant, warrior-like women who dominate men, who are superior to men, superior intellect, superior strength. And they enslave men, and if the men don't do their will, they kill men. So that's, that's the mythology. So that's the mythology of Amazons. The beginning of this chapter or this book in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, stop, do away with your endless mythologies and genealogies and wives' tales. Right? 1 Timothy 1. This is after he addresses in the very first part of this letter, there is false doctrine among you. There are false teachers among you. Because of it, Hymenaeus and Alexander, they've been surrendered to the enemy so that they would come to repentance, but they've been kicked out. But there are others among you who are false teachers. Paul's whole point in this was dealing with false doctrine. 
and he's taken severe action. I believe the first part, the beginning of 1 Timothy 2, really is a continuation of 1 Timothy 1, when it says pray for everybody and pray for kings and those in high positions. God desires that you have a quiet, peaceable life characterized by righteousness and holiness. Paul had to do some drastic measures. Paul's got a heart. Even at the end, going, hey, I had to surrender these brothers out and boot them out. But there's still others among you. Pray for one another. This is the church, my friends. There is anger and dissension. How do we know that? Because in verse 8, what does it say? In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy or clean, clean, holy, guilt-free hands. Lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. The church was full of anger and controversy. Their meetings were characterized by anger and controversy. Men and women. It was disruptive. It It wasn't advancing the kingdom. So Paul stepped in and says, all right, you asked for help, I'm giving you help. And Paul says something, says some pretty radical things. Verse 9. The word and there actually should be likewise. Look at it up in your Strong's Concordance in your original King James. And likewise. Why is that important? Because women were guilty of the anger and the divisiveness and the controversy as well. It wasn't just men. And likewise. And I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. You know what's interesting? And I'm sure it's just a coincidence. I'm certain of that. Um, Braided hair and gold and pearls was the attire they would wear when they would go into the temple of Artemis to plead to spare their lives. When they would plead to this angry God to spare their lives. This was the attire they wore to temple. Certain that's just a coincidence, right? No! Paul is addressing, you've done church that way before. That's not the way to do it anymore. Just so you guys know, in 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul talks about the whole covering of the head for the women and everything, do you want to know why? Because there were Greeks and there were Jews in the church and the Jewish women covered their head and the Greek women didn't cover their head and so the church was at a lack of unity. They were divided. And so what does Paul do? Boom, I'm going to make this easy. Everybody cover their head. Just get your butts to church. Everybody cover their heads. I'm not going to argue with this. He even says, he even talks about arguments. He's like, hey, if you want to argue about it, you know, these, these are customs. They come to church and then they can sit there and be taught and instructed. For women who claim, this is a key word, guys, let's not overlook this. Who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. Let's leave that verse up. Why would he have to say that? Because some of the women in the church were some of those false teachers that Paul was addressing. Some of the women that were in the church that were doing these things 
were some of those who were guilty of false doctrine and false teaching. And he's saying, if you claim to be devoted to God and not to other gods, you should be identified by some things different than just how you come into this place and how you look. You should be identified and characterized by other fruits than how you walk through these doors and how you look. Women should learn, period. When we have the original Greek transcripts in front of us and the men who translated the Bible into the King James, they didn't have the luxury of punctuation like we have. There weren't commas, periods, ellipses, exclamation marks. They weren't those things. The verbs carried certain strength based on it was a passive verb, a present verb, a present passive verb. If it spoke of, if it, had a, if it was a command, that carried a specific tense. And so that's how it was very clear what they were saying. I want you guys to know Paul's instruction that women should learn was radical. It was radical. Women didn't learn. Women didn't learn. Women weren't allowed to learn. Not in Roman culture, not in Greek culture, and not in Jewish culture. They weren't allowed to. For, so for Paul, let's go ahead and be clear about something. For Paul to say women should learn, period, was radical. But he says, and, and the, the word ignorant, it just it stings us so bad, but it's an appropriate word. Women should learn. But women of the church of Ephesus, you're ignorant. You're teaching things you have no idea what you're talking about. You need to learn. And there's a way to do it. And that way is quietly. And that word quietly is the same word when he says at the beginning of this chapter too, when he says, I desire that all men would live quiet and peaceable lives characterized by holiness. And God. Same word, quiet and submissive. Quiet, peaceable, submissive learning. Why submissive? Because we're not smarter than the teacher. When we go to class, we submit to the teacher. I raise my hand. Not now, son. Uh, I'll, I'll take questions later. But I, not now. I submit to that. Why? Because he's smarter than me. Because he knows more about this subject than me. Because I'm the one that wants to be learned. He's the one that is learned. Or she's the one that's learned. And So that is how we learn. Quietly and submissively. Let's leave this passage up here because I want to read something here. A wife in peacefulness, I let learn in all obedience, but to teach a wife I am not allowing. Not even to dominate a husband, but to be in peacefulness. This is the exact order and structure that the original Greek is listed. I am not a Greek scholar, so I searched for people who are Greek scholars. This is the order, what I just read. So what we have here is, I do not let women teach. Just so you know, that word let is allow, and that word allow is a present tense verb that speaks of, I am not allowing a woman to teach. What Paul is saying is, I had to kick a couple brothers out, I had to lay down the hammer, and I'm telling you right now, in order to bring peace, I'm not allowing a woman to teach. At this time, I'm not allowing a woman to teach. Or to have authority over a man. Or to usurp authority over a man. That word, usurp, that word to have authority, that word is authenteo. 
Authenteo is the only use of this word. To have authority over man is the only use of this word in the entire Bible. And here's what it means. This is authenteo. Once again, go to blueletterbible.org. Look up this passage in the any translation. Click on the C. It'll give you a, a concordance of the words. Click on that word for authority. It's authenteo. This is the this is the exact translation. One who with his own hand kills another or himself. That is the primary definition of this word. Why? And why would Paul choose to use such a grotesque word? Because murder is the ultimate form of authority. Murder is the ultimate form of getting your way. I so desperately want my way and to impose my authority upon you that I am willing with my hand, not, not hiring someone out, with my hand of my own being to murder you so that I get my way. This is the primary definition of authenteo. Number two, one who acts on his own authority. Number three, an absolute master. Number four, to exercise dominion over one. This is the definition of authenteo. And my friends, guess what? This type of authority has never been given to a man in the history of mankind. Authenteo has never been given to a man. It's never been given to a woman, but it's never been given to a man. But this word describes what took place in the mythology of Amazons. This word, authenteo, describes what in the mythology of Amazons, what took place. One who with his own hands kills another or himself. No one has that authority. No one's been given that authority. Jesus certainly didn't give that authority to anyone. And you know what? Walking on this earth, Jesus didn't have that authority. This is not a redeeming verb. Actually, it's a noun. So the translation, a wife in peacefulness, I let learn in all obedience, not causing angry disputes. We've got to remember the context. The whole context was men... Let your hands be pure. Come into this place with lifted holy hands, not full of anger and dissension. And I'm going to address what's causing it. Women, golly gee, God bless you. Let me start off by saying you should learn. You need to learn. We want you to learn. We're not going to withhold learning from you anymore. Are, Are there people in this room? Do you remember when when women weren't allowed to vote. So it was what... It, that's, that happened in, in the Depression era. So maybe in the 20s, is that, does that sound right? Okay. My friends, we're not, we're not that far removed. We think we're so enlightened as a culture. But there's people that are uh, walking alive among us that for them, they're like, yeah, I remember. You remember when... When Africans American, when black people were were told they didn't have a soul, they didn't have equal rights because you didn't have a soul. Forget not voting, they didn't. Friends, we're not as enlightened as we think. Why does this passage bother us? Well, because we're prideful people. Because we're prideful suckers. We are. Golly gee, and we're insecure. I've heard, I can't tell you how many preachers I've heard say, oh, I'll never bring a man on staff that's a better preacher than me. Then you, my friend, have a jacked up church. Then you, my friend, are an insecure man. And you are robbing your church. I want every, 
elder that comes into this place to be a better preacher than me. Kara wants every worship leader that comes into this place to be more anointed and better than her. Why? Jesus deserves it. And it's not about me. But we've allowed religion and insecurity and fear to go. You guys, use our minds for one second. If Jesus allowed women to teach, really, why would Paul contradict Jesus and say this? But more importantly, why in the world would we build a denomination on it? The accurate description, someone, please, I I challenge you to prove me wrong in this. The accurate description and translation of this is a wife in peacefulness I let learn in all obedience. Not causing angry disputes, but to teach a wife. And once again, I say wife because that woman, wife, it was the same word. It's kind of 50-50. So when it talks about a woman, it's woman and wife. So I'm okay with it saying woman also. But God is a God of godly order. We do believe that, that the man is the head of the home, just as Christ is the head of the church. So we believe that. I am not allowing, not presently allowing a woman or a wife to teach, not even to dominate a husband, to, but to be in peacefulness. Then you get to that confusing passage. We'll, we'll just go ahead and uh, let's go to the next verse. For God made Adam first, and afterward he made Eve. Why would Paul have to say that? Well, if you're in the shadow of the temple of Artemis, and the belief was that women were superior, you got to every now and then say, whoa, you're not superior. In fact, women came from men. God created man first. Women came from men. So Paul's putting things in check. You know, he's stepping on some toes and he still continues to step on toes. And so I don't mind stepping on toes because Paul's awesome and Jesus stepped on toes too. Yay, Mark, stepping on toes. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. And... It wasn't Adam that was deceived by Satan. Why is that important? Because uh, uh, Adam's sin was willful, rebellious disobedience, not deception. His sin wasn't deception. He wasn't deceived. He was right there. Serpent comes up, hands his wife a snake. Or hands hands, hands his wife an apple. (laughs) If, yeah... Hence his wife, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of our, in our terms, you know, I'm, I don't think it was really an apple, but he, she was deceived. She was, she was deceived. Didn't the Lord say that you shouldn't eat, you know, of this? Yeah, you shouldn't eat or touch it. Aha, there's my end. Well, here you go. Sitting so there juggling. Hey, I'm touching it. Whoa, hey, I'm not dead. Well, I'm not going to touch it. I threw it at you. You're not dead, right? You touch, you know, she was deceived. He wasn't deceived. He willfully chose to disobey God. Just an interesting point there. The woman was deceived and sin was the result. My friends, sin is always the re- result of, of rebellion towards God. But women will be saved through childbearing. Let me address this. What Paul is saying, and, and just so you know, this wasn't controversial at the time. At the time wrote this, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, it wasn't controversial. They knew exactly what he meant. It's controversial to us now. We're like, what does that mean? What does that mean? A woman saved by having a baby. All of you, go get pregnant and have babies so you can be saved. That's not, 
They, but they knew what it meant. What he's saying is, hey, you don't have to fear for your lives. The, the fearful and dangerous act of childbearing, you don't got to fear it any longer. You will be saved. And the word through is accurately described as through or throughout. That word is through or throughout. So throughout makes more sense. You will be saved throughout childbearing. You will be delivered from the painful process of childbearing if you do what? If you continue a life of faith, you will be saved through the things that scare you. Okay, you're afraid of dying in childbirth. So you're not, so you're not walking in that role that, that's of motherhood. You don't have to be afraid of that. I know you think you've grown up with the curse of Artemis and you pay all these, you know, sacrifices thinking that she will save you. She won't save you. But you will be saved through the process of childbirth, but it comes through living a life characterized by faith and love and holiness and purity. That sounds a lot like the, the life we're supposed to live as a Christian, doesn't it? No one else thought that was a weird passage, reading and going, a woman be saved through childbearing? You guys, if we totally eliminate the context of who this message is going to, a church in turmoil, a church that's, that's a mess, that are arguing and fighting and there's false doctrine and it's false doctrine that it's tearing them up. So that's what Paul is being aggressive about. I'm kicking butt and taking names. That's what Paul did. Kicking some people out, laying down the law. Women, you know what you're talking about? I'm not allowing you to teach for a while. Men, you know, you're coming into this place angry, get rid of the anger. Purify your hands before you come in and purify your heart so you can worship an awesome God. The fears of, of this false doctrine and the, the effects of it, no, you're, you look to Jesus. He's the answer. Women, you're domineering over men. Good golly, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Not Amazon women from the moon. Come on. If you got a problem with this message, but don't have a problem with 1 Corinthians 11 and shaving your head, which, by the way, the temple prostitutes did. That's why Paul asked them to cover their heads so they wouldn't be identified with the world. But then he still has a couple strange things to say. It's just it's an odd passage. But if, you, if, you, if this you would follow to the letter, but, but you, you don't walk into this place with a shaved head, I encourage you to pray and to repent of hypocrisy because you are being selective in what you choose to adhere to. It is impossible for us. We have to look at context of things. You know, there was a joke one time that some guy's like, man, Lord, I need to hear from you. I need to hear from you. I really need to hear from you. The guy didn't have a relationship with God where that he sought the Lord in Scripture, but he needed a quick fix. He needed to hear from God. So he's like, Lord, I need to hear from you. I need to hear from you. And he goes, I'm just going to open it and you're going to speak to me. And he opens it and he points and it says, and Judas hung himself. And he's like, ooh, that's not good. I'm going to try something else. And then he opens it and points and goes, go and do likewise. <laughs> and we use the word of God like that sometimes. We don't, we're lazy. So if we're going to if we're going to repent, let's also repent of laziness for not getting in His Word and not studying to show ourselves approved. 
let's repent for thinking that when Paul says to the Jew I've become Jew to the Greek I've become Greek to the Roman I become all things to all men so that by all means some might be saved let's repent because we thought that that meant that in doing so that God is not willing to let a woman be one of those means why because we have a pretty jacked up heritage here in So part of our church's foundation isn't completely what it should be. Part of the things we were taught by our parents were wrong. Part of the things we were taught by our grandparents were wrong. And part of the things that define us is religion and tradition. And if it's wrong, that means we're wrong and we're too proud to be wrong. You know, I just... I want to be honest. If this is an offensive word to you, I'm not intentionally trying to be offensive, but I'm okay with being offensive because Jesus told us that in following him we would offend others. And the God I serve, who sent his only son, who bore the weight and the shame of all sin and all abandonment, who God turned his back to, and he's and he was alone. God didn't do that so that fifty percent of creation could tell others about his son. Here's the thing I'm a graphic designer who loves Jesus. I'm a husband and a father who loves Jesus. And God, a handful of years ago, gave me a call and said, will you, be a, will you be an elder? Will you be a pastor? Will you plant a church? And we said, yes. But I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm not a Bible scholar. My, my degree is in graphic design. I didn't go to seminary. I love Jesus and I love being with him. And I actually take him at his word when he says, if you seek me, you'll find me. So my friends, I've been studying this since April. And this is what I found. And I believe that all of it points to Jesus. But you know what? I had to pull some things about Ephesus and Amazons and, you know, there's room for error. I know that. I'm not saying... But there's truth in searching and studying. And there's truth in the Word of God. Now, i, I got to ask one more favor. Please don't come in here next week with your head shaved, ladies. Please don't do that. Please. And, you know, and I don't want to see a bunch of coverings because you know what? That message was for a church at a specific time to address a specific issue. And so was this. Here's what I will encourage you to do. Go study 2 Timothy when Paul, the same Paul, when Paul says, older women, you should teach and you should teach the younger women. Oh, wait, wait. Paul just said you can't teach. Now he's contradicting himself. Well, no, what Paul said here is, I'm not allowing you to teach for this time. And then when he writes the second letter to Timothy, he says, teach. Teach. Then he says to Timothy, Timothy, you can trust the teaching you were given. 
because you knew who it came from. Your grandmother and your mother. They raised you up in scriptures from the time you were a child, which, by the way, in Jewish tradition was wrong and illegal. A woman could not teach a boy. That's a man's job. A woman could not teach a preteen. That's a man's job. And Paul's sitting there praising her. So here's my... So please, read 2 Timothy before we come back so that all the funny looks I'm getting from a couple... You know, this, so that it's good, you know. But Paul... And read 1 Corinthians 7 where he says... This isn't a command. This isn't a command. This isn't a command. You know what? You know what he commanded? This is awesome. This is awesome. You know what he commanded? I think it's better that you not be married. No, he didn't command that. He gave his opinion. He said, I think it's better that you not be married. Even though God said, be fruitful and multiply. So is Paul contradicting God who set in the institute of marriage and oneness? And Paul says, I think it's better that you not be married. Then he goes on to talk about different things through the course of marriage. And when you get to that portion, you know what I'm talking about, you know why I'm not expanding. Um, and he says, this is just, this, this is not a command, it's a concession. Paul says it over a half dozen times. It's not a command. Why? Because Paul understood that he gives his direction, he gives his things, but he is not the highest authority in the local church. The, the elders are. By the way, elders in the church at Ephesus Aquila and Priscilla, husband and wife. Aquila is never mentioned without being followed by Priscilla. In fact, it mentions Priscilla and Aquila in that order more than it does Aquila and Priscilla. Why? Because they were one. They started the church in their home. They were elders in the church at Ephesus that Timothy took over as, as elder, lead elder on. Guys, the Bible is awesome if we'll look, if we'll not be lazy, and if we'll search, and if we'll not just rely upon what our pastor told us when we were eight or when we're how old you are. Don't rely on what I'm telling you. Man, please go prove me wrong. Why? Because I want you in the Word and I'm not perfect. But I am passionate and I am hungry and I do spend time with this Word and I do spend time with my God. We're going to pray.